Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the April 5th, 2022 episode of Unchained. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking with Cross River Bank. Request your fiat on-off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. Galaxis. Create unstoppable communities by issuing NFTs with interactive, dynamic utility traits that allow any creator to engage with, reward, and monetize their following. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first 30 days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. This episode of Unchained is brought to you by Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer. Beefy is the easiest way to earn more from your crypto. Deposit funds into Beefy's secure vaults to auto-compound yield across 12 blockchains. Got crypto? Choose Beefy. Today's guest is Mike Brock, General Manager of TBD at Block, formerly known as Square. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. Super happy to be here. Let's start with some basics. Obviously, Square slash Block has undergone some big changes in the last year, but many of them are more just announced as opposed to fully realized. So can you give us the full context of what TBD is and why it is that Square decided to launch this new initiative? Yeah, TBD is our newest business unit at the company, um, which sits alongside our, I guess you could say, I, I don't like, I don't want to say legacy business, it's probably too strong a word, but uh, Cash App, Square, and our second most newest business unit title. So one of the things that you know, we, as a company, we've been really striving towards is, is building towards mentality that, that we talk about internally as our ecosystem of startups and uh, as part of a, you know, a, a coherent ecosystem that, that works together and reinforces the other. So TBD adds to that, um, I think, very apropos to what we'll be talking about today by focusing on our efforts around decentralized finance, uh, cryptocurrency, particularly Bitcoin, and our efforts around decentralized identity, which I hope to talk a little bit more about today as well, which we see as like really the, the big unlock that needs to happen um, to allow us to gateway into this, this decentralized future. And the other part of your question around like, you know, TVD and like, like what it is, we are very focused on solving what I call the, the onboarding or the on-ramping problem into 
the, the crypto world. The reality that we live in today is that the average person goes about their day um, and they pay for things, they pay taxes, um, they receive their salary, their hourly wage. They, they deal with money in many different ways. And the, the truth of the matter is, is that most people today don't really have like a practical use case for Bitcoin or other crypto technologies. I think we should just admit this. I think we do need to admit this is an emerging technology. I think we also need to admit that when we look outside the United States and developed economies, um, that actually is, is less true. There are, in fact, places in the world where cryptocurrency is playing a very important role. I would like to invoke you know, the situation in Ukraine. I think um, Bitcoin and, and crypto has had a very large impact uh, in terms of uh, humanitarian fundraising. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that that the International Red Cross has actually started accepting crypto donations for help in, in Ukraine. Um, these are these are obviously very very real things that are I'm very pleased to see. But in terms of what we're trying to do is, you know, we 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 look at the potential of this technology and we see that potential, especially in that very powerful example of unlocking. A future where access to the financial system is not contingent upon credit worthiness or, or quite or whether or not i mean i i guess you would say whether or not a, a government wants you to have access to the financial system or not and i and i say that not so much directed at democratic governments but like in situations like we are now seeing in parts of the world where where, where people's financial access is, is used as a, as a weapon of, of political disenfranchisement. So we, we look at this, we, we look at that and, and, and we think that that's like a future that we want to see. And, and to do that, we need to build tools to let people onboard and on-ramp into that, into that ecosystem. And so TBD's focus is building those on-ramps, building a massively distributed and decentralized system of liquidity for linking the existing financial system, fiat rails, into the decentralized system through a series of open source, open protocol nodes that we call TVDEX. We put out a white paper on this protocol uh, last November, right before Thanksgiving weekend here in the United States, uh, really detailing um, what it is and, and how it's going to work. We can, we can get into the details of that. But, but broadly speaking, this is the theme of TBD, which is building infrastructure to enable individuals, businesses, institutions, and yes, like even governments um, to interact with this ecosystem in a, in a way that, that will ultimately allow these technologies to become daily parts of people's lives. And so we are, you know, we are a far more sort of, I guess you could say platform focused business as opposed to like a consumer facing business like, like Cash App. And, you know, and I, and our, you know, I guess you could say we're, we're more like a, a, a Stripe, um, than, than like a, a traditional like consumer facing brand in that sense. But I think that's actually exactly like where we need to focus. And so uh, my next question for you was going to be about how Square Crypto became Spiral and then for you to differentiate it from TBD. But it sounds like that's kind of the more consumer facing business. And then yours is the one that's more B2B. 
I wouldn't characterize our business as not as B2B or B2C. Like I, I think what you should expect to see is is more like a developer focus, like a developer focused platform ecosystem. There are certainly ways in which that could have like consumer facing elements and institutional facing elements. I think it's really more about building, you know, uh, fit to purpose tooling to build decentralized solutions, many of which may may have very, like very direct consumer applications. Okay, but but Spiral is more consumer facing. Spiral is not a business. Um, it is, you know, I I, I want to let me. Um, I I explicitly did not. I explicitly did not mention them as I as I talked about our uh, as our as I talked about our business. They they are not one of our business units. They are a a an internal, purely open source. I would say like almost qu- like quasi block funded initiative to just invest in the Bitcoin ecosystem. There is no revenue model uh, that's going to ever be contemplated for Spiral. Um, they are a pure open source arm. They're only, they, they receive a budget from the business every year that, you know, that we set and they go out and they invest in, in what's best for Bitcoin. Whether or not Spiral, you know, um, it, it, like we, we don't have any, I want, we have no influence on them. Um, we like Steve Lee and the team are their only mandate is do what's good for Bitcoin. And they have done a great job with, uh, you know, the development of the lightning development kit and, and they're working on the Bitcoin development kit and there'll be lots of awesome future developer goodies that they're going to continue to work on, but they're working for Bitcoin, um, and we're sponsoring them essentially. So, uh, they are not a traditional business unit like. TBD, where we do actually have a mandate to um, generate revenue, products and services, and, and 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 contribute to the overall business. So that that's like an important distinction that I'm happy to clarify. Okay. However, I guess one thing that's interesting to me is that both of them do seem developer focused, and so it does sound like their efforts could be complementary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. And yeah, how do you see that happening? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a very common question I get. Like, what's the difference between TBD and Spiral? Because TBD also has this really strong open source focus. I guess the way I would, I don't, I, I guess the way I would try to, if I were to try to draw an analogies to make it easier for, I guess, people to understand how we think about it differently, is I think TBD is is trying to be a open source company inside block that's a lot more like a red hat or a, or a cloud era where yes we are investing in open source protocols and tools and we are yes looking for monetization opportunities and spiral is more like the linux foundation in the sense that like they 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 are like a purely sort of like um you know quasi charitable organization and it's like not actually, they're not actually a a charitable organization, but like we we kind of treat them that way that they're sort of entrusted to just kind of like do what's good for Bitcoin in the same way that Linux foundation is trying to do what's good for Linux, which is like different than like say Red Hat. Red Hat is also contributing to 
Linux, but they're also a for-profit company. And I think that's kind of the same way if you're trying to like find like a, like some sort of pattern recognition to kind of see, understand the difference between TBD and Spiral. That's like the analogy I would come up with. And so as you mentioned, Spiral is focused only on Bitcoin. And well, TBD, I mean, you phrased it a little differently. I think you said that it was primarily focused on Bitcoin. Will you look at other chains or explore other chains? Or do you think for now we'll pretty much only be Bitcoin? We will be investing in stable coins. You know, this is not new. I mean, we've, we've said this uh, publicly. Like, we think that, that stable coins are like, a very powerful tool for improving the payment ecosystem. Going back to what I said before about the reality of where people currently exist in their lives is that, you know, fiat currency is still a thing. Uh, People still rely on it. They get paid in it. They have to pay in it to obtain products and services. Um, In the future, we, we, we believe that, that, that Bitcoin will become a more viable currency for, for day-to-day use, but today it's not. Um, so we, we believe that like creating on-ramps into the decentralized economy via stable coins is, is one of the things that, that TBD is, is investing very heavily in. As it pertains to our disposition on Bitcoin, we definitely like see TBD as being like a very important on-ramp to providing decentralized Bitcoin liquidity in the world. Because we we do believe in Bitcoin. Jack says that he you know that we we think of Bitcoin as the the native currency of of the internet, and from that perspective, like we we see ourselves uplifting that vision through the the liquidity that the the TVDEX network will will ultimately provide, and and part of that will be supporting stablecoins. Uh, so I would say that we're not purely like strictly speaking a a bitcoin focused entity although it is a very important part of our mission to advance the cause of bitcoin so before we get into more on that i actually also want to talk about your background how did you get into bitcoin and why did you decide to go all in on it i've told this story so many times but i love love telling it the truth is i was pretty disinterested in Bitcoin um, at the time that I was kind of pulled into it. Long and the short of it is in the, the period starting like right, right after the election uh, in 2016 um, and kind of coming, coming back and decompressing from, you know, the, the sort of the shock of, you know, the, the political dynamics um, in the United States having shifted so drastically we kind of came back and, uh, you know, we're starting off the year and, and like we started with a hack week, um, where everyone in, in the company, uh, basically gets to work on anything they want to work on for a week. Um, the whole company, you know, just basically picks up the get, they, they bring teams together. They, decide like, Hey, I'm going to build a feature in cash app that will do this. Or I'm going to people actually, sometimes people don't even work on products. Sometimes people like decide that they're going to, you know, try and improve little things in the office. Or sometimes they, sometimes there'll be initiatives like improving human, like, uh, you know, people programs inside the company. 
So Hack Week is this really is this thing that we do. And I was at the time working on our cash app banking and cash card product, which I had been shepherding uh, for almost two years at that point. And Jack Dorsey, our CEO and founder, came up to me uh, in, in like, you know, right, right in that early January and said, I want to do a Hack Week project with you. I was like, oh, and he said, I want to do Bitcoin. I think I looked at him and I was kind of not really like, 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 like sure whether to take it seriously. Um, and he was like, yeah, I want, I want to, to, to build Bitcoin. And I, and I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm not going to participate in Hack Week this year because, you know, I'm, I'm, I really, I really need to get this stuff done for the, the, you know, the banking and cash card launch in a few months. And he was, and he was like, I really think, I really think we should do Bitcoin together. And I was like, I was like, no, I, I was like, Jack, I can't. And like, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I don't really believe in it. And, and I, and I would, I was just like, I, I can't. And so Jack, you know, was like, well, I'm not really going to take no for an answer. And so I'm just going to like set up camp beside your desk until you agree to do it, which, which literally happened. Jack literally Basically, like he, I was, we, we had these like trade, like trading floor type desks at our at our headquarters in in Cash App, and it just so happened that that the seat to the left of me was not actually taken, so it was just kind of open. So Jack just was very easily able to just camp uh, there, and so he sat beside me that entire day. Um, sat there on his phone. I would look over at him. He'd be like texting and emailing with people, and he'd look up, and he would be like, "Still here." And uh, that went on for a day and a half. Um, and it was actually on day two of the hack week that I just broke down and, and agreed to, to do it. And I, I basically started writing code uh, for the first time um, in a while and just trying to figure out, like, I didn't know anything about Bitcoin, had no idea how it worked. Like, I started writing code, not even knowing, like, what am I even doing? went and found some like open source Bitcoin libraries and just started looking at the API documentation and trying to make sense of it. And I was like, and, and I, I, so that, that was how it happened. And it was just sort of just like, kind of like, all right, fine, whatever, just uh, I'll do it. I, I, I did another podcast recently where I told the same story. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't come to, to Bitcoin uh, through like any sort of like spark that went on in my own head. It was, it was really Jack kind of really like, was the one who was really inspired by by Bitcoin and, and its potential, and he just saw something in it, and 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 he really wanted me to work on it um, for the Hack Week, and then and then after the Hack Week, um, he wanted me to continue to work on it. In fact, he wanted to to ship it as a product, which did not immediately want to do as well, um, and he also had to continued to lobby me. And what was that product? It, w- it was the product that we shipped in Cash App, which was the, the ability to buy and sell Bitcoin inside of Cash App, um, which was a, the, li- literally the craziest thing I'd ever done in my career. 
Um, not, not, be, not, not, not just because, not, not because like, I mean, it doesn't sound crazy now, but in 2017, we were a publicly traded company. There was no publicly traded company in the United States that was buying and selling Bitcoin, like a publicly traded, regulated, like fine, like consume, like doing consumer financial services. And the biggest problem wasn't honestly at the time to doing it wasn't necessarily government regulation. Like a lot of people kind of think, I mean, that was like a major concern. There was concerns at the time on whether or not the SEC was going to consider something like Bitcoin and security. And, you know, we had all this sort of like risk analysis going on, like from a legal perspective, but it's actually our, our, our partnership ecosystem. You know, you, we had, you know, you, we have all these, like we're interconnected into the financial system, bank partners, like, you know, payment network partners. And it, it's actually, it was actually that ecosystem when they kind of found out that we were doing Bitcoin, they were like, whoa, whoa, what are you guys talking about? We want nothing to do with this. And so it, it, it became like a really tough slog to figure out how we were going to launch it. So that was, that was the craziest year of my life. And, and here I am now, like, uh, you know, a few years later. Weirdly enough, one of, I think, the, the biggest champions for, for this at the company. Who would have thought? Well, so you make it sound like you were sort of forced into this, but it sounds like along the way you must have had some kind of light bulb moment or something that made you fall in love with it or, or at least begin to like it. So do you remember what that was? I don't think it was like a single moment per se. I, I, if I'm being honest, I think the first two or three months of working on it, I was kind of in search in my own head of like a raison d'etre for the, for the effort. I think what really clicked for me one, like at, at a certain point was actually just kind of going back to what I had been passionate about before discovering Bitcoin. So I, I talked about how I was working on our cash app banking and, and cash card strategy. And at the center of that strategy, that I was, you know, one of the principal architects of was a really obsessive focus on trying to maximize financial access to um, individuals in the United States who were underserved or unserved by the banking system. It's a crazy like statistic, but there's about 11 million adults in the United States who have significant trouble accessing a, a conventional uh, checking account. And this was really at the sort of center of what we were trying to do with, with, with Cash App at the time. And one of the things that I eventually realized, actually, while working on Bitcoin, I think it was kind of really, like, really dawned on me at one point was that the incentive structures of the financial system that we were a part of, whether we liked it or not, made it very, very difficult to provide financial access to everybody unconditionally. And the reason for that is like varied. It's, it's, it's a, a mishmash of, of, you know, like regulations, uh, well-intentioned regulations in some cases that have uh, negative consequences. It's the fact that the payment system is like old and antiquated in other cases. You know, the thing that I, I now realize today, like very like viscerally, is that fiat payment is almost complete, at least in the United States, I won't speak to 
other more modern systems in other countries that I'm not as familiar with, but at least in the United States, like the ACH system, forces most payments to essentially be systems of credit. Like a payment is a credit, even a debit card payment is a uh, requires the provision of credit at some level because settlement is not instantaneous. It takes several days in the back end for final settlement to occur. So there's always counterparty risk in the system. And we're risking, and if there's risk in the system, markets will price it in. And that, that turns into, that, that gets priced in, in in several different ways. And it can get priced in through fees or it can be, get priced in through access itself, right? If, if there is a fear by a, uh, by a financial intermediary that that certain people below a certain line of, of, of credit worthiness will create situations where the intermediaries get left holding the bag. And the way that that happens is through, you know, payment reversals and chargebacks. There's like always a way in this system of like credit and like, you know, credit-based payments in the system that like accounts can go negative. They could be like, even there's no flag, like this, people don't realize this, but there's like no flag that a bank can really tick in their software that says, do not let account go into overdraft. You might think that that would be possible, but it's not really possible because the system, the payment system is asynchronous. So there's always a possibility that, that the asynchronicity of the system will leave an account negative. And so banks have to take that into account when they consider offering a checking account to someone. And that's why you have to do a checking, a credit check to get a checking account. system. And when I realized that, and I was like, wow, there's like really no way to solve that problem without rebuilding the payment system from scratch. And then I realized one day, wait, we have rebuilt the payment <laughs> system from scratch and it's called Bitcoin. Yes, this is why when I first learned about Bitcoin in depth in May 2015, and really, really understood it. And I was vetting the Forbes FinTech 50 list. So all the FinTech companies were telling me what problems in the banking system they were solving. I immediately knew this technology is superior and there is no way it's not going to win out. Like it was just clear to me because, you know, everything in the banking system is decades old. So yeah, uh, that it sounds like a, a similar epiphany to mine. So let's talk about what you're working on. Um, as you mentioned earlier, one of your announced projects is TBDEX um, or the TBDEX protocol. And uh, the way you've described it or TBD has described it is that it aims to create ubiquitous and accessible on-ramps and off-ramps that allow the average individual to benefit from crypto innovation. So tell us a little bit about kind of the problems that TBDEX aims to solve and how it works. Yeah, so... The, the main problem it aims to solve is the one that I described at the opening um, of the interview, which is to, you know, to, to create ubiquitous access to the, the, the crypto ecosystem. And the way, that, the way that, that we hope that that will look is going back to the discussion we just wrapped up around how I had that epiphany around Bitcoin is... Ultimately, allowing people to self-onboard into the system to the maximum extent possible. I envision a day where you can set up a self-custody wallet to hold Bitcoin or stable coins. And with that self-custody wallet, supporting the TBDEX protocol, you can ultimately reach out into the network and say, I have this payment instrument that's linked to you know, a, a bank account or, or some or like, you know, like fiat 
payable account, like somewhere in the world. And I want to find somebody who is willing to accept this form of payment and like also using the TVDEX protocol, negotiate the, the necessary identity exchange, which is yes, regulatorily necessary in, in, in most countries to establish like a transaction of value for value, um, fiat for tokenized value. And to do that using an open standard messaging system defined by the TVX protocol and, and, and buffeted by the, the identity, the decentralized identity um, protocols that we're working on that will allow the creation of a like decentralized um, sets of liquidity nodes across the world that anyone can operate in theory. Regulated exchanges can operate if they so choose. We will operate. Um, that is one of the things that PVD will do. We will we will stand up our own nodes of this network. We are also working with other companies that are also interested in operating these nodes. And the idea is is that like yeah like you can you you can directly like set out asks for many different exchanges, not just like centralized exchanges, to bid on the exchange of that liquidity in a very decentralized way. So it is it is a, a take on the decentralized exchange. It's a little bit different than the decentralized exchanges we've seen up until now, which are really, really focused on on creating, you know, atomic swap networks and and creating you know, and doing automated market making. This is different in the sense that what we're really focused on here is finding a way to connect the decentralized crypto ecosystem back to the fiat system in the way that is at least as decentralized as possible. The truth is, is that fiat is not truly decentralizable. We all, everyone in this space understands that, right? At the end of the day, it's, it's a government issued currency, it's controlled by the government, the supply of it is controlled by the central bank. It's it's a very centralized thing. But to the extent that like money services businesses that are in the business of exchanging fiat money for tokenized assets such as Bitcoin and, and, and stable coins, that we think that can be decentralized. We think the provisioning of that liquidity is at least decentralizable and commoditizable using open source, open standard protocols. And that's what TVDEX is. So in a moment, we're going to dive a bit more into TVDEX and some of the decentralized identifiers that Mike has been talking about. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first 30 days. With Crypto.com Earn, you can get industry-leading interest rates of up to 8.5% on over 40 coins, including Bitcoin, and earn up to 14% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. It's becoming clear that utility is the future of NFT technology. And no launch platform does utility better than Galaxis. Anyone with a community can now engage with, reward, and monetize their following by issuing an NFT collection 
with dynamic utility traits. These traits can be customized to the needs of a particular community and change over time, allowing the creator to sustain a prolonged relationship with their most valuable customers. Visit galaxis.xyz to learn more. Building the next big thing in crypto? Cross River has your back. Whether you are a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payments solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on-off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. Finance is changing. Strategies are changing. Holding is changing. Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer, allows you to maximize passive income while you sleep. Simply deposit your crypto into Beefy's secure, industry-leading auto-compounding vaults to put your funds to work. Each one of Beefy's 740 vaults automatically reinvests the interest gained on your crypto deposits, earning you more, while saving you time and fees. Beefy's strategies create bank-busting APYs with 0% deposit fees at the click of a button. Join $1.4 billion of investments and understand why so many users trust Beefy with their financial independence. Visit beefy.finance and take control of your financial future. Back to my conversation with Mike. So earlier when you were talking about TBDEX and how it worked, you know, obviously there would need to be liquidity in the system. So who are you imagining would provide that liquidity or how do you plan to incentivize people providing liquidity? We will provide it um, on day one. Um, you know, we, we made that decision that, you know, if you want to catalyze a network, you know, you know, you, you know, you need to show, don't tell, which is, which is one of the things that, um, Jack used to say, um, back in the early days. So, you know, we are, we are going to show a fully working network and we're going to be in more than one country when we launch the network to really show the power of something like this to enable not just access to the crypto ecosystem, but, you know, and like, like the potential to use this technology for, you know, disrupting uh, traditional remittance payments is, is something that, that we think is, is like a worthwhile initiative. And actually, I think one of the really, I think remittance, quite honestly, is, is one of the first obvious, you know, areas for product market fit for, for Bitcoin and, and crypto more generally. And so, you know, we're, we're taking a, we're making a really big push um, into the international arena. Right. Uh, but, but if TBD is the sole provider of the liquidity, then how does that affect kind of the decentralized aspect of the exchange? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. We are working with other companies that are planning on also launching nodes on the TVDEX network, at least in the United States um, and potentially around the world. We don't have, like, I mean, this, this is, this is the, right, is the biggest risk, right, to something like this, that, like, you know, that, that it doesn't get, like, widely adopted. Our belief is, though, that the incentives to adoption are actually quite 
strong. And I'll tell you why. And the, and the reason why I believe more players will come in and provide liquidity in the medium term. Well, it is true that this technology is like very disruptive to an incumbency out there, like in, in like the traditional like payment space. It is also true that there is an entire ecosystem of even traditional businesses that, that seek access to a more accessible, cheap and reliable payment system. And so one of the things that really surprised me when we released the white paper was I totally expected that I was going to hear from the crypto industry at large when I put that out there. And I did, I got my LinkedIn inbox was filled with, you know, the, you know, the CEOs and biz dev people from, from crypto companies. But what actually really surprised me was how many like sort of legacy companies reached out and said, wait, like, could we be a part of this? Like, could this be like a way that like we could like actually like build like a better like payment scheme where we're not like beholden to these like old crappy payment systems, which suck. And it's really hard to like manage like risk loss and the transaction costs are high. So that was, that was actually like one of the biggest validations for me. And we do continue to have, I mean, I can't, Unfortunately, like those conversations are not, not something that I can talk about publicly. I would like to, I, I would encourage people to, uh, we, we, we do try, like one of the things is we do try to be radically transparent. Unfortunately, some of the people we're working with are, are a little bit more skittish about working in public than we are. So I do have to respect, I do have to respect their, um, their desire for privacy. But I will say that I do believe that there will be more people than us providing liquidity. And I'm very confident of that. So you keep alluding to how these peer-to-peer transactions could be based on decentralized identifiers or what you call DIDs. What are some examples of these decentralized identifiers? So this is a, a very new, old idea. Uh, the idea for decentralized identifiers has been around actually for quite some time. And there has been movements afoot on the internet since like actually as, as far, far away as the 1990s to come up with, you know, universal centralized identifiers for identity on the internet. And in fact, a lot of the technologies that we're now trying to adopt and, and push forward do have their roots in some cases going back that far. So I think it's not so much, I I think it's, I think that there's a few things that, that need to be said, right? Like, like one decentralized identity has not entered its heyday. It it is a, it is a new technology, but I, I think that it is the technology that needs to exist. If this future of decentralized finance that everybody in this space believes in is, is ever going to exist. And, and I think a lot of people hear that and they think it's because I'm talking about like compliance with KYC and IDV and, and all of these like regulatory regimes. That's not really the reason. The reason why decentralized identity is necessary for decentralized finance to exist and be a viable linchpin of the, the economy is identity is, is necessary even between two private parties to establish trust to establish like, like provenance of, of like, of, of ownership for that, for that trust to be 
something that can be represented to third parties that other people can vouch for other people can create what we call webs of trust and allow people to ultimately engage in low risk, low cost transactions. The example I like to use, and, and, and I don't also want to minimize the fact that, yes, we do have to comply with regulatory obligations around KYC. Um, but I, I, I like to, I really like to push this point though, because I think that people focus on that a little bit too much. And I like to use the example of, you know, imagine like, imagine if, if Amazon was a completely anonymous online company, you had no idea where they were based. You had like, no, there was no number to call. There was no email address. There was like really no, there was no way to like prove that the product that you just bought and sent Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency to pay for actually exists in a warehouse and they actually have the intention to send you that product. Now, it tur- like, 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 the, no, but this is like a really important point. I think people take this concept of social trust for granted. Like we take, we, we take for granted that we can trust Amazon because we know it and we know that like we bought from them time and time again and like our Amazon Prime deliveries just keep showing up. Sometimes they don't and Amazon has good customer service and they refund us. But like we t- but we take for gra- we take for granted that, that that that's like a thing. And I think there's this element in this industry there's this assumption that exists that I think is like actually just like really really wrong. That like we're we're heading towards this utopia in the future where we'll be having these like pseudo anonymous or completely anonymous, like financial transactions where we just don't have to know anything about the counterparty. And that will all sort of be like hiding in like, in, in like digital in this like digital, like, like darkness hiding from the government and anyone like monitoring us. And my question is, is like, well, if that's true, like, are, are, are we going to like, like, if you want that to be true too, then I guess we're going to have to set up like anonymous drop boxes for, you know, the products to be sent to and, and hope that like it actually shows up and, and hope that like with no recourse to, you know, uh, trust to these like anonymous like entities that we're transacting with. I, I, I just don't think that that's like a viable future. The truth is, is that we need identity. Like if I, like if I'm, if I'm doing business with you, Laura, I want to know that you are who you say you are. I want to know that that QR code you just presented me actually belongs to you. And it's not just some hacker that's like created a deep fake of your, of your face and, and is like pretending to be you. And is actually providing me a QR code that points to a Bitcoin wallet that is like actually in some far flung part of the world. And I'll never see my Bitcoin again. And then when I call the real Laura Shin, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. Like I, I, I didn't like, offer to sell you that so and then i'm like by the way i'm sorry but you just got rug pulled (laughs) (laughs) yeah no so i think this is like really why like decentralized identity is really important and i I think that like people haven't woken up to the fact that if someone doesn't solve this problem and operationalize it these are like the real like very tangible problems that the decentralized financial world are dealing with yeah yeah but but the only thing that i would add is i feel like people are already learning this right now and it's not with necessarily even buying physical objects but even with buying digital objects like the whole nft space right now is just full of very similar rug pulls and i feel like all those people they would probably say amen to what you're saying yeah no like totally and so this is this is why decentralized identity is like one of our biggest lifts we are choosing to try and standardize on the existing W3C, you know, DID specification, which is currently in draft. 
It is uh, also the technology that Microsoft's Ion is is built on top of, which like surprise, surprise, like we are also like working with. So through that, you know, like through that lens, like we think that this, 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 the time for this technology is now and the desire, the, the great amount of desire for, for building decentralized financial systems and, and operationalizing things like Bitcoin and self-custody wallets is, is now the killer app for decentralized identity. It's not that decentralized identity is a particularly new technology in the sense that like a lot of, a lot of things that we're now working on have been around for years, but we think now is the time now is like you, you now is the, is the, is where like the great sort of like product market fit use case now exists, which is people want to be able to self custody, you know, tokenized assets like Bitcoin, you know, you mentioned NFTs. Um, I, you know, we have been critical of, of them and we can, talk, <laughs> we can talk about that as well, but, but like, you know, I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not like, you know, people are, are free to, to do what they choose. But in, in, insofar, as, in, insofar as these technologies exist and that we truly want to have a decentralized experience, we have to change the account model of the internet um, on its head. And we have to put the account model back in, in the individual's control. The account model of the internet today is highly centralized. It's the thing that I think not enough people are thinking about in this space, which is that like, we log in with Google, we log in with Facebook, we log in with Amazon, we like literally have given our identity to these big centralized companies. And we now use them as like the way in which we authenticate and represent our identity to the internet. We don't control our own identity and we don't have the tools to honestly, like other than like taking pictures of our driver's license and uploading it to like websites. And so, yeah, so the decentralized identity technologies that we're working on today, which like uses cryptography and and like you know the the, the public key infrastructure in, in the same way that 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 cryptocurrency wallets do to be able to like actually have a piece of identity that you own that you control and yes that other third parties can attest like credentials to I can have a decentralized identity that has like a linkage to like a company like block like TBD that has KYC'd the customer and has put, has, has like basically confirmed that, you know, you are who you say you are. This is your legal name. This is your birth date. This is your social security number that this is, you know, we've done a credit check. This is your FICO score. And you can have like a, a, a company like us vouch for your DID and issue you a verifiable credential that you can then potentially reuse where other companies or other players can say, well, if, if, like Block or even our competitors like Coinbase or PayPal did it, that we can say, look, like we, we see that and, and we, we recognize that that like reaches that that reaches a certain like threshold of like, you know, uh, of, of provenance for that person's identity. And we can like essentially use that to establish a greater degree of trust for that identity without compromising privacy, where the, the individual remains in complete control of the ability to distribute that information as they see fit. They don't have to, like, whereas today you have no control of that. You have no ability to know, like, like, like who has your information and why. You have no ability to revoke access to that information. And even beyond that, the technology provides for the use of, 
even greater privacy preserving technologies that allow us to establish trust, like zero knowledge proofs. Like we imagine a world where in the future you can have a DID and rather than having credentials that are filled with like privacy compromising information or, or information that could like enhance your risk of identity theft can actually be like provided in an opaque but still provable way using zero knowledge proofs. So you can imagine a future where I have a DID, I'm in California. So like if the state of California wanted to support DIDs, say at the DMV, they could, the DMV could choose to issue a verifiable credential to my self-sovereign identity and say, this person, self, we, we issue to like in the same way that we send a crypto payment to your, you know, your public key, they can send to my public key that like, I, I know you are who you say you are and you're licensed to drive in the state of California. And that can be something that any other person in the world could verify. If I chose to say, here's my identity, I'm providing you the verifiable credential that California issued me, you can go and take that verifiable credential and you can ping the DMV directly and they will verify that that, yes, he is licensed without actually even having to like disclose my name or my address or any of that other information, which typically goes through it, but still have 100% confidence that it is true that I am who I am and I am a licensed driver, what you've really done is you've accomplished the best of both worlds, right? You've, you now have an identity that you control, that is yours, that no one can take away from you, that other people can attest elements of, of, of credentials to, like driver's licenses, like KYC, like even just like, I don't know, like your eBay trust, your eBay score as like a seller or a buyer, whatever it is. And that could be reused to create like new ways of thinking about risk and trust that doesn't require us to like do the thing that we currently do, which is like give all of this like privacy compromising information to everybody, but instead create this like buildable social trust scheme that's shareable and viewable and in full control of like the individual that will ultimately, I think, allow us to achieve what I think we all want, which is like a decentralized financial system and one that is far more privacy preserving and actually far safer for everybody, safer for me and actually safer for institutions. Now you have this like like privacy protecting and preserving system that also gives people high confidence that people are trustworthy. And and this is, so, so this is, this is the, the, the true potential of decentralized identity and why I think it's the great unlock for this whole quote unquote decentralized financial system and web that people are talking about. Yeah, no question that, I mean, resolving this issue is is going to be huge because just I feel like anything that tries to connect the blockchain to something in the real world is a really, really, really difficult problem to solve. And there's a reason right now that... Uh, you know, kind of all the things that have taken off in the blockchain world tend to have been things that are inherently digital and not things that are, you know, exist in the physical world. But I did want to ask you a few more questions about TBDEX. You may have seen that Vitalik Buterin told Bloomberg's Emily Chang that he was skeptical of DeFi on Bitcoin. He said, the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is that on Ethereum, there is native functionality that allows you to essentially directly put either ETH or Ethereum-based assets into these smart contracts, into these lockboxes where there is then arbitrary conditions of any kind that can then govern how these assets get released. Bitcoin does not have that functionality to the same extent. Jack is basically going to have to essentially create his own system that enforces those rules. And then on the Bitcoin layer, the Bitcoins will just have to be owned by 
probably a multi-sig wallet controlled by Jack or just the participants in the system. It looks similar, but it will end up being something with a much weaker trust model. What's your response to those comments? So my, my response to this, I've, I've debated some of these issues publicly already on my Twitter timeline and in other places, and I'm sure I will here and, and in other forms. But what I would say is I think there's like, I, I, I actually just kind of reject a lot of the premises of these arguments. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of like talking past the other side of the argument here, because I feel like when someone says like, well, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain doesn't have, you know, these, these capabilities, these technologies. Um, so how are you going to do these things? There's this like unstated premise that in order to have decentralized systems, you have, there has to be a blockchain. And this is like the premise that I think that like doesn't get heard enough. Like, I, I think people think of me as like a Bitcoin maximalist. I don't think I am at all. I, I mean, I, I'm a big supporter of Bitcoin, like obviously, like I, I want to see it succeed, but I don't have some sort of like partisan like affinity for it where like, like I, you know, like my identity is tied to it and I want Bitcoin to like win, like come hell or high water. And like, I, I honestly, I, I, I like the, the folks at, at, at Solana and like, and I, I'm, I'm friends with like some of the major investors and in those things. And we've had like very like heated debates about that. And I, so, and I wish them well. And honestly, like if I am like proven wrong and like these like ecosystems like flourish and they like grow into what, what they're hoping they, they are, I'll be super happy to admit that I was wrong and make, you know, maybe TBD will be building like solutions on top of those systems in a few years. I'm, I'm always open to being wrong. It's something like I try to pride myself on. What I will say is like the, the, the nature of my doubt and, and the reason why I haven't jumped on that bandwagon is because I don't think blockchain is needed for decentralization in all cases. In fact, I would argue that blockchain is a terrible way to decentralize a lot of things. I like to think about this from a very first principles basis. What is blockchain good at? I think it's very good at money. I think that's what like it does on Bitcoin. I think it, that's what it does on a lot of these blockchains. And I think that that has consistently been the thing that it has proven itself good at. You see it. That's what people are doing on, on crypto exchanges. They're, they're treating it like money. They're treating it like a, a, a cash-like asset, like case proven, product market fit established. Where I'm really skeptical is, yes, like in like the, the argument for smart, like generalized smart contract chains and like what that means. And the reason why I'm so skeptical, I generally like, I, I generally think that the unit economic story of smart contract chains just doesn't make sense to me from the perspective of a and I, I, from like a, as somebody who has built like product at scale for consumers, I have a lot of real questions about the assumptions that are made in that space. The first is that the reason why that we will see adoption of platforms and ecosystems built on top of these smart contract chains that are powered by like Solana or, or Ethereum is that there's a seemingly a pent up demand for 
new, like newly envisioned services built from the ground up that individuals have a stake in, that they have some sort of control in, that they can have ownership in, that they can like use cryptocurrency as micropayments in lieu of like ad supported models in order to like, you know, establish like, you know, like greater freedom and like buy-in and like this really very like quite honestly utopian vision for the internet. And actually I think that would be great if that was true. I just don't think that human nature works that way. Um, I, my, my counter argument actually to uh, that, that story isn't even like inside the crypto ecosystem itself. It's, it's like, it's platforms like TikTok, right? Like everybody has, everybody understands that like that a platform like that having, you know, the like high profile, you know, like censorship at the behest of, of a government that d- didn't, doesn't want certain political messages to be present on that platform led to a huge political blow up. The last, uh, the last administration of this country tried to force the sale of its U S assets to Microsoft, you know, and ultimately that was killed in, in federal court in the United States. Um, and so, you know, ByteDance, you know, still has full control over that platform. Now, the reason why I bring this up is that like, despite the fact that everyone knows this, like my daughter knows this. My daughter's 13 years old. She understands this. She understands that, 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 that the Chinese government probably has undue influence over the platform, but she doesn't care. Like she does, like, like this is, like, this is, like, this is the thing. Like the, like individual, individual customers do not, like, do not react to, like, to these very, like, political and ethical and moral incentives. Like, I mean, I, I do actually. I don't, I don't use the, the platform for that reason. I am very principled about the products and services I use, but my daughter isn't and neither are Wait, like so most I, the people I don't know why you're bringing this up. Are you saying that um, DeFi and Bitcoin will be more centralized and people won't care? Or I don't know where you're going with this. No, what I'm saying is I, I am skeptical of DeFi in as a smart contract based system at all. So when I talk about DeFi, what I'm saying is the ecosystem of decentralized finance is not going to be like this thing that's like completely been built on top of blockchains. It's going to be a it's going to be a set of decentralized systems, decentralized identity, you know, commodified and, and decentralized services on the internet. But I don't believe it's going to it's going to be built as like Turing complete applications running as decentralized apps on Solana or Ethereum. Like, like, I think this is like, I think this is like why, like, we're talking like past each other. The reason I'm talking about TikTok is because I'm, I'm talking about consumer incentives around why would somebody adopt, say, I don't know, like, like, uh, why, why would you use a social network that's built on top of Solana or on top of Ethereum? Well, like, is, do you really, do we really think that consumers are going to build, are going to get Solana or Ethereum wallets? And engage in micropayments to interact with these new decentralized services that I hear, you know, I hear people in that system. I hear the people at Andreessen Horowitz and stuff talking about how consumers are going to want to use this because they want to escape big tech censorship and stuff like that. And I just don't believe that like the incentive structures that people think would lead to consumers like jumping through all these additional hoops to achieve decentralization of everything. This, this web three narrative is real. I don't think it's real. So yeah, so you're saying that Bitcoin DeFi will be more centralized in different ways, but people won't care. Is I don't know. I, somehow that's 
it just feels like that's what you keep saying. But no, no, I, 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 I don't think that the only way to create decentralized financial services is purely through finding ways to like put the entire instrumentation of, of services on the chain itself. I think right. decentralization is not purely a function. I, I, I think what has happened is that people are using blockchain and decentralization as, as like interchangeable words. And I don't think that they are. Right. Well, that's just because, well, but I mean, typically when you have a blockchain, you have, you know, this distributed set of nodes that are running things. And so it isn't like there is, you know, just one uh, entity that's controlling the network. So I think that's why people tend to view them as the same, but, but your, is your, cause sometimes, so people sometimes make the point that they feel that a lot of these blockchains really are controlled by, you know, one or, or some small number of entities. So is that what you're trying to say? That that's one of the criticisms that I, I have, and I would in, in many cases lob at them. But I'm saying something completely different. I'm, I'm, I'm making an argument that very few people make. I mean, other people have actually made this. Or add, uh, you know, like Aaron Levy from, you know, he's, he's also made the, the, I think, a very similar argument to the one that I'm making, which is that I don't believe the incentive structures support the thesis that a lot of people in DeFi are making. So when I talk about decentralized finance, I'm not talking about like rebuilding the New York Stock Exchange on top of Ethereum or Solana. I don't think that that's going to work, right? Like I, I, I think that the, it is very obvious to me that the marginal economic costs of doing that are not something that the rest of the economy is willing to pay in exchange for just like knowing that like that that they're safe from censorship. I'm saying you really have to think about like, I think it is, I, I think it is a good thing. And it's why I believe in Bitcoin that it is censorship resistant and that it's decentralized. But the way that it works is it works through, it works so well because of the adversarial dynamics in the network actually make it more secure. Those things are not obviously true in a lot of these other smart contract chains. And so when I'm talking about decentralized finance, I'm talking about the full gamut of, of technological tools that we can use for decentralization. That includes things like decentralized identity that we're talking about, which, by the way, is not just about like identity. Like it also creates new avenues for decentralized service discovery and things like that. But there's also other avenues for decentralization. There's, there's technologies like IPFS, which is also not based on a blockchain. And I think that this is like kind of the message that myself and others have been trying to like really like push the conversation and is saying that like blockchain is not the best decentralization tool in all cases. I think we all agree that decentralization is good, that we want to see decentralization of, of, of services, decentralization of finance, decentralization of governance. These are all good things. But I think that a lot of this industry is lost in the wilderness trying to basically shove everything into these layer one smart contract chains. And I don't think that it's that it's the technology that's the best fit for the job in, in many of these cases. And I think that's the, the conversation that I've been trying to have. And I feel like people talk past each other here. And okay. They, yeah. And, the, and then, and then no, they keep yeah, saying, well, how are, how are you going to do all these things in the Bitcoin blockchain? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not going to do those things on the Bitcoin blockchain. I'm going to do them in different ways using tools that are better fit for purpose. Right. No, that makes sense. 
I mean, even people who uh, work uh, on things in Ethereum, they definitely also say not everything needs to go on chain. Um, but so since you're actually discussing all this, I definitely wanted to ask you about how Terra recently decided to back its decentralized stablecoin UST partially with Bitcoin. And the creator or the co-founder of Terraform Labs, Do Kwan, was recently on my podcast. And he was talking about how this will create a layer two on Bitcoin or a DeFi ecosystem on Bitcoin. And I was wondering what you thought about that. I don't have the many developed thoughts on, on Terra. It, oh, I'm going to take a mental note to, to dig in a little bit deeper. Um, been very heads down on what, what, what I'm working on. What but I will did say, you hear about how they're buying $3 billion worth of Bitcoin for now and want to raise that up to $10 billion eventually to back their stablecoin? I have not been able to help but notice in my Twitter timeline the people <laughs> celebrating Terra's regular purchases of Bitcoin. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I believe that, that, yes, I believe in layer two solutions. Like I'm a big, I'm a big supporter of Lightning, um, I don't think it is the only layer two solution. I mean, the reality is, is that like exchanges themselves are arguably layer two solutions. I don't think they're good ones. I think we're trying to disrupt that, that centralized model with TV decks, but, but yeah, like, yeah, of course. I mean, I think, yes, like in order for the decentralized financial economy to emerge, we're going to have to create like higher levels of abstraction to, um, to deal with a whole modicum of, of problems that moving to a new system of money presents. And but would you view what Terra is doing as competitive or complementary to what you're doing? I I think that what we're doing with TVDEX is pretty universally complementary to the entire ecosystem right now. I mean, I view our strategy as like a rising tide lifts all boats. So, you know, the thing, you know, I I've, I've said this before like if my our if our biggest competitors in the world and we've talked to some of them, by the way, um, want to come and work with us on this and they want to use it and they want to provision liquidity and they want to build competitive products and services on it. I have said very consistently that we will work with them, that like we're, we're working in the open. And right now our model is, is to basically uplift the ecosystem and, and increase the viability of that ecosystem. And so I don't seek to like stake out sort of like some sort of like unfair competitive edge. So I, I, I view, I view us, I view us as like working purely in the interests of the entire ecosystem, which yes, we believe we'll benefit from that. We'll be able to, you know, to build products and services that people will, will pay for to support these systems. Um, and our competitors may very well do the same. They may, they may try to compete with those services. Maybe, maybe they'll be better than us. So I, I welcome all competition. I, I also, if, if somebody thinks that they have a, a better idea um, for accomplishing this the, the problem that we're trying to solve. I, I, I certainly welcome their their feedback or their efforts. Competition is good. And then earlier when we were talking about how um, you don't feel that a blockchain is um, necessary for decentralizing things, in general, I think the reason that a lot of these other chains are using blockchain technology in their networks is because as I'm sure you're very well aware, they will launch their own token. And then the users of that protocol kind of feel this sense of ownership or alignment with that protocol. And frankly, oftentimes then get um, some share in the governance for that reason. But that ends up becoming an incentive 
um, to those users and kind of brings those users into those that ecosystem. So you don't feel that that would be a method that um, TB Dex would use to attract users or liquidity. Um, I mean, you know, famous or not, I don't know if this is famously, but I did notice in some of the writing about TB Dex, you said that you would not be releasing a governance token, which is again, another way that these protocols will often decentralize. So, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on kind of the usage of tokens to incentivize and attract users? Well, I mean, we will not create a governance token. It's also important to note that our protocol is a decentralized messaging framework that is ultimately doing like service discovery through the DID mechanism. So we, like I, I would going back to my attempt to disentangle the conversation between decentralization and blockchain. I mean, TBDX is a decentralized technology that is not based on the blockchain. Um, and, and that is, that is a very deliberate decision that we've made because we don't think that a block, we think a blockchain would make, our technology more expensive. We think that um, needlessly so, actually. Uh, we don't see any need to like burn, you know, these these transactions that we're that we're mediating or the information that informs the the the, the settlement of those transactions into a blockchain uh, for eternity and to pay for block space and store data and storage on that network to do it. We think that's a we think that's a really really bad unit economic model, and you know we when we and we think actually like undermines the ability of a network like this to ultimately become even cheaper than the existing mainstream options for international remittance and settlement. So we very deliberately have sought to build a decentralized protocol that does not rely on a tokenized like a, a governance token on a smart contract chain. I mean that like that like me like very not not as like I I don't I don't not as like some sort of like flippant rejection of it but like we don't think that 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 those technologies are fit to purpose here so we we've designed this and I mean a, a governance token wouldn't make any sense right like it wouldn't provide any security to our network it would only make it more expensive to use it I mean as currently designed our network. Our protocols should be as free to use as the web protocols we're using to have this conversation today. And so earlier in the conversation, you also mentioned that stablecoins will also be a major focus. Are there any particular stablecoins that you feel you would be more likely to use or are you thinking about launching one? We have publicly announced in conjunction with Coinbase and Circle a few weeks ago that we that we will be working with them um, on USDC, and so USDC will will be one of the first stable coins that that we um, invest in supporting. So that that is public information. So I can I can repeat that here. We are since we do want to be very internationally focused. We are uh, evaluating uh, stablecoin options for other non. Um, U.S. currencies around the world, but I have nothing that I can speak to on that firmly right now. Okay. The last question is that the homepage of Spiral says Bitcoin is the best money. It should be used like it. And I get this question from normies all the time. <laughs> they don't believe Bitcoin can be a currency or, you know, I, I would even say that 
uh, in the Bitcoin world itself, a lot of people will talk about it being digital gold, which obviously, um, you know, nobody uses gold really as currency. Um, so what do you say to people who think that Bitcoin cannot be a good currency or that it will not be used as a currency? I, I, I got this along. I mean, it, look, I mean, I think it's going to be about like showing and not telling. And I so would say like check back in 10 years. And I have a strong belief that the incentive structures that, that underline this technology and the emergence of technologies like lightning, and I'm not trying to avoid the, the uh, you know, Vitalik's criticisms of, of you know, the, the peg-in and peg-out structure of lightning earlier. I don't think I, I have much time to, to dissect that, but like I... The, I believe in, in layer two as, as sort of the, the, the main way to do payment. I believe that, like, I, I believe long-term the incentives towards ad adoption are well in Bitcoin's favor, particularly even more so. I, 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 I think a lot of us can be very U.S. centric, but I look at countries around the world. Like I look at like Argentina and, and Venezuela. I look at Africa where like, El Salvador, obviously, where Bitcoin and Lightning payments are actually seeing real mainstream use cases like a bulwark against, you know, runaway inflation, like oppressive control, you know, over over money and banking um, and commerce. And I believe that the proving grounds of this technology are not even here in, in the United States. Right. Like, I think I think these technologies are being proven out like in real time. In, in many developing countries around the world. And I think it's inevitable that Bitcoin is, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I, I actually am not going to make the argument that like Bitcoin will, will, will be the only currency in the future. Um, I'm not, I, I, I know a lot of people believe that. I, I kind of am willing to um, withhold judgment on that future. But what I will say is I'm super confident that Bitcoin is going to be an important part of people's daily life in five to 10 years, one way or the other. All right. Well, this has been super fun chatting. Where can people learn more about you and TBD? You can uh, follow us uh, on, our, on our TBD Twitter uh, account where we uh, are always like giving updates on what we're doing. Uh, sometimes it's uh, we are a little bit lighthearted there um, and, and joke around a little bit. Um, and also, uh, we, we, I, we don't have our official website launched yet, but what I will say is that we are, uh, racing, uh, to get that set up. We have like a, a team that's, that's working really, really hard to get our website put together where we're going to actually be able to bring together all these things that we're currently working on. Um, so look out for that and we will definitely be announcing that on our, on our Twitter feed. So I was, I was here. Twitter account is probably the best place to follow us right now. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Unchained. Thank you, Laura. This was fun. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Mike, Block, and TBD, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Mark Murdoch, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. 